I'm Jay Matthews, and this is AD Update. We're back with our most frequent guest, uh, Barwood Sports Science and Performance Coordinator Kyle Southall. Kyle, uh, you're our most favored guest, I guess. This is your third or fourth time to do this. Uh, we just finished our June phase of workouts. We're about to take the 4th of July break, so I wanted to do a couple things. Uh, get a little report on how this summer's been. But before we get into that, um, I don't think we've done this with you before. Take us a quick flyby of your background, where you're from, and, and how you actually got to Briarwood in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I say how I ended up at Briarwood is the perfect example of walk by faith and not by sight. Um, I also say that my digression through the profession of sports medicine, sports science is complete. So, <laughs> you know, when, you, when you're in high school, you go to college, at least in the sports medicine side of stuff or athletic training side of stuff, you want to work at the NFL, professional baseball, you know, be in the professional sports, that kind of stuff. So I did that. Um, went to undergrad at Ohio University, went got my master's at Western University, spent some time with the Browns, worked in Power 5 baseball, football, then I went to uh, Division Three Birmingham Southern. That's how I got to Birmingham, and it was going to be my two-year plan. And then I was going to go back home. You know, my girlfriend, now wife, um, was in Pennsylvania at the time, and we were going to live out our lives where we were both from, there in the North Midwest. Got to Birmingham Southern, and you know, I thought there was something different. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to get into academia. So I started my PhD. Um, worked in at Sanford in their athletic training program, master's athletic training program, as their clinical coordinator. And that was where it kind of all happened. So during COVID, we had this big shift in, in the education part of athletic training. And I was going to take a, a program director's position at a um, different school, different state, completely out of the area. And, and um, But there was a gap. There was about a six-month gap. And I knew Matt, the previous athletic trainer for me, was, right. was leaving. And um, so I was like, you know, I'd, I'd come out as a PRN, helped out when he had his uh, baby girl and all that stuff. And I was like, you know, I can do that for a few few months. And move on and then about halfway through that football season you know somebody planted the seat you know hey would you be interested in sticking around you know everything's working out well all that sort of stuff and I kind of brushed it off my plan was already set and and as we see it wasn't set and as that conversation that seed was planted and grew I, I learned that hey this is a special place and I I think I can find a lot of good things and here I am three and a half years later yeah, I just I've been so grateful that we kind of uh, sidelined your plans. Uh, we we've been the benefits uh, uh, beneficiaries of that for sure. Uh, and so, why do we not call you Doctor Kyle? Would that be more appropriate? <laughs> Kyle's just fine. <laughs> Kyle's just fine. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, we're we're three and a half years into this initiative that we're kind of calling sports science performance uh, and I know we've talked about this on our, our previous sports science updates but give us kind of an overview of, of what you think you're doing maybe even more you know how you've learned maybe more about what we're doing and uh, and then just a kind of a quick rundown of where we are and, and where you think we're headed yeah so when we conceived the model and I always say it's a great place to start otherwise you're just experimenting that kind of thing we wanted to be more set in science and more discreet than that so our, our primary goals is to maximize performance while minimizing time loss injuries you know and I always say you know 
injuries are a part of athletics. It happens. If we can mitigate that, if we can take that four-week ankle sprain and turn it into a two-week recovery, that's that's where we want to be, that kind of thing. And then um, as we were going through and we kind of got to about that year-and-a-half mark, we started really actually looking at things. We realized that a lot of our data was showing that we were able to return air players at, to competition faster and, and using those objective measures that traditionally we didn't have. So that was kind of an interesting byproduct with that. Um, where we are with that, we feel good, pretty good about those things. And, and I know we're going to talk about further down the road of some of the people we've put in place. But then now where the model is, um, I'd say we're about halfway through, you know, that four to five year plan, feeling really good about it. Some things we thought in the beginning were going to be there aren't. And some of the things that we had no expectations of, we found as some positive side effects. I think we're, we're doing it in a really good place. Yeah. You know, we had we had some openings come open that we weren't anticipating. We we had a strength conditioning position come open both on the male and female side. And I think even the process of searching for the right person or fit, we even learned more about, you know, comparing about what, what people do. But, you know, I, I know what you're going to say uh, in terms of the two people we've added, but uh, between Anna Hicks and Kyle Tatum, I feel like we just hit two home runs just watching them uh, with our student athletes this summer. Uh, do, you, do you concur with what I'm seeing? I concur completely. And it's one of those, you know, when you step back and you look at this and how this model works is that I almost look at it as a as a picture and, and finding that perfect puzzle piece that fits into that picture that, that makes it more complete is absolutely integral and both of those people have done a great job so far yeah it's been phenomenal to watch and and you know i've been around briarwood again since 1991 and watching what we do both during the school year and then in the summer and i've come away uh, just this past june thinking this this is probably the best summer program i've witnessed uh and and what do you think is making that difference I think a lot of that comes, uh, one, with the culture that we build. Um, on the, the ladies' side of things, the girls' side of things, they want to get in the weight room. They want to learn. They want to get better um, both on the field, on the court, wherever that is, and in the weight room. And, uh, you know, I said one of the biggest statements of how big of an impact Anna has made already is that we've had two sports that have traditionally never asked for weight room time that are consistently in the weight room two days a week. And that's that's huge. That's buy-in, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Um and on the guys' side of things, what we're seeing with football, you know, football tends to be our guinea pig, and then if it works, we dilute it out to the other sports. Um, we're seeing some really great stuff, especially with, like, our laser timers, doing top sprint speeds, our musculoskeletal stuff, and it's been a really good four weeks. So let's zone in on that just a little bit. So, uh, and, and I've got to give Cody Hughes some credit for this in terms of his work, you know, at what he's done at Madison Academy and, and then us talking with him. Uh, and I keep using the word secret sauce, uh, but because these these students today are into electronics and they, they understand data, you know, and they live in a world of data, so we're providing them objective data on a consistent basis where they're competing against themselves primarily. And so, uh, you know, they get a – we're weighing them in every day, and that's the way we're checking in. We're getting sprint speed every day. Uh, we're um, monitoring them very close in the weight room, and then, of course, they're wearing the catapults you know, during the, the outside time every day. And then they get to see their raw numbers. And so 
how does that how's that tr- helping where traditionally maybe not having that feedback consistently limits their ability to kind of compete with themselves you know yeah and i say as we've gone through the process um none of the ingredients of what we've done has been novel we haven't created anything new at briarwood i think we just how those work together and the volume that we're in the detail that we're doing um it's been great it's been phenomenal and and with the athletes the buy-in and their competition has really shown through that stuff. Like, I mean, day in, day out, we have guys come in either before or after practice. Hey, what was my top speed yesterday? Hey, how has this improved? How's that improved? You know, um, can I see, you know, my heat map, which is on the GPS? It's just how often they're in one space and, and where they are on the field and that sort of stuff. And, you know, 15, 20 years and had probably 90% of the the schools around, um, they don't have that, you know. So, you know, they, they have different ways of measuring and different competitive indexes and that kind of stuff. But, but where our kids fit in and it's really, you know, them versus them, but then it also turns into them versus their, you know, backup or them yeah, versus their yeah. next wide receiver. And, yeah. and then, you know, and, and then it even gets into that second layer of the onion. Well, how do I get better? And, That's right. you know, so, you know, that, you know, I feel like I'm trying harder, but my times aren't changing. And then we start talking about nutrition recovery, all those sort of things that um, we can really do. And, and we've really turned into have quite a, uh, a recipe for success. So I'll tell you the, the moment this summer where I was kind of surprised, um, was, so we have these laser timers and they get different, uh, sprint distances, you know, and, and, we're actually capturing their top end speed because they get a, a run up and they cross the first laser and then we give them a time. So yeah, I, I was like, sure for the sprint guys, for the, you know, skill, skill positions, e- even the, the mid, what we call the mids, the linebackers, so forth. Sure. I said, but I didn't feel like there was going to be any value to an offensive lineman, for example, who, you know, he, he just needs to run three yards every day, but. I started watching them and they're competing against their best time. So it's given them an explosiveness. Their arms are pumping faster. They're they're just going at a rate that it's hard to get a big guy like that to go. And so it's it's giving them a greater explosiveness. Does that make sense? And I saw that, I was like, wow, this this actually may be more beneficial to a big guy. Yeah, the the exciting, you know, I've never, I've been, like I say, I've worked everywhere from the NFL to, you know, middle school football, and I have never seen an offensive lineman that gets excited about running a sprint, anything like that. Yeah. But when they get there, they're starting to compete, that you really see that competitive layer. And, and almost to the extent that our, by percentage, our largest improver of all the 105, 115 football players we had this summer is an offensive lineman. So that's, yeah. you know, and some will say, oh, well, they have the biggest room for improvement, all that modifying meeting variables but that stuff when you when we look at raw numbers what matters he showed what matters yeah I just in, in trying to get a guy that size while he's young to have like an intensity about him uh i, I don't know i just I, i've been so thankful uh you know the, the fact that we go three mornings a week and we go early which helps us with the heat uh gives them a long you know break on the weekends um uh, we do different things. It's constantly changing, you know. And then, uh, and then Coach Tatum's introduced a little bit of competition, even in the weight room, where a little fun, mm-hmm. you know, offense versus defense uh, type thing. I, I don't know. I've just uh, I wish there was time to really go into all the little pieces that have made this pretty cool. But we're running circles, you know. We're 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 
we're learning how to uh, change direction. You know, we're we're. I mean, you you would understand from a scientific standpoint. I know we're still compiling the data from this June, but give me kind of uh, what what does that report when you guys do your sports science report for June? What what are we going to see? What what are you expecting us to see as far as what's been accomplished this month? So I think the two biggest things that we'll see for this June specifically is the increased top speed. Our guys are getting faster, and those numbers look great. And the the laser technology that we've brought in to measure that has been good, and especially comparing that with the GPS data that we get. So we're able to see top velocities and top you know max speeds you know at a um, pretty high rate. And then I think the other thing that we're going to see is the workloads and then comparing that over the year. So like looking at this June versus last June and versus the previous three years. So we're able to see not only that those acute changes, but we're able to see these chronic changes. And that's where a lot of the... um, I guess interest in what we're doing is coming from because we're having you know four, five, six years of really high quality data on these uh, guys and gals as they're coming through, and that's just something that's very little, if not matched at all. So you sent an email out earlier in the month, maybe after week two, that had a comparison to last year, and I don't have that in front of me, but it was pretty shocking or impressive in terms of the workload and so forth. Do you remember some of that off the top of your head? Yeah. So how I look at it, I look at it in two different facets. I compare week to week. So week one this June compared to week one last June, overall workloads and those sort of things. And then I do a cumulative of it. So I look at one, two, versus one, two, one, two, three, and then look at those averages. And initially those first couple of weeks we came back and I looked at the numbers and like the first week was like 22% higher. The second week was like 16% higher. And I was like, okay, th- these are numbers that aren't typically sustainable. Right. So we looked at, we're like, why did this come from? You know, that's our underlying, you know, of this model. It gives us a, a, a way to look at why. Well, and what we had done is we had changed and one of our principles of decreasing these musculoskeletal injuries is that we are emphasizing sprint training. So emphasizing proper mechanics, proper acceleration, deceleration, all those sort of things. How we're doing that is we're doing that before practice and we have them outside wearing their GPS sensors. So they go out, they do that, they turn the sensor off, they go inside, they do the rest of their workout, they go to meetings, do everything they need to do. Well, then they go back out. So they were getting an extra 20 to 40 minute exposure this year that they weren't getting last year. Hmm. So then, you know, you kind of have the notion, well, the weight room has been cut down. So practice has been cut down by about 20 minutes. So really they're actually on the field about the same amount of time, but we're measuring more, you know? So I think that's where it really comes down from. But then we get into like week three. So we see that and we say, you know, really high week, really high week. Okay. Yeah. We can probably explain it just by the overall pod minutes. They're outside more and we're getting more GPS data. So what we did is, okay, let's modify this because we don't want to sustain the super high workload for a long time. So we did a normal Tuesday. Then we cut out the running part on Wednesday, did a recovery workout instead. Then we looked at Thursday. So we look at these acute versus chronic changes and we plan our practices based off that. And and that's where the coaches really come in because they're buying into this. What traditionally has been, oh, I'm doing it this way because I, well, it's always done it, you know, or, you know, they have that coaching feeling where now we have objective data for them to work off of and make better decisions on. So this week was the first week we even had to worry about kind of a heat bubble that hit us, you know. Um, and so just for our listeners out there, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a very uh, unnatural, cool early part of June. You know, knew it was coming at some point. And then, man, it just comes this week, hits you in the face with 
think today, uh, you know, uh, uh, heat index of like 115. So for our listeners there, knowing that the safety of the athlete is so important to us, give us, you know, because you shared with all the coaches via email the AHSAA rules, first of all, versus uh, what you can do when the heat indexes get certain ways. But then you also, on top of that, you know, giving them great information. You guys are preparing. So you had the, the cold tub out there. You've got the – the uh, you've got the, the canopies out there, you know, uh, for situations. So, give us a quick uh, rundown, just really for anybody that's listening about how important it is now to manage workload and the stress from the heat. Yeah, and the health and safety of our kids—that's the number one thing. If we don't boil it down to that, what we're doing is is for naught. So, from a heat side of things, the I always say the best treatment for heat illness is prevention. So, we okay. really emphasize the prevention side of things. Um, that's so typically what we do um, on a micro scale is that we encourage hydration. We have, always have water accessible to them. It's always there at practice. Um, all the coaches have it, you know, have access to it. We set it up in the locker room. So like there is plenty of, of, of hydration, um, that sort of thing. And then electrolytes if we need it to secondarily, um, as we train, um, or encourage the nutrition side of it. Cause you do those two things. You're definitely setting yourself up for success. But if you come in, you know, dehydrated, malnourished, you're just kind of setting yourself up for failure. But then on the actual field itself, you know, again, we always have cold water accessible to help kind of keep that core temperature down. But in the cases that we do um, have an emergency illness, um, anytime that it's over 85 degrees, we set up an emergency cold tub and it's usually off the corner. Um, we do set a canopy over top of it. So that way, um, get them out of the sun. So if somebody does experience heat on symptoms, we get them submerged in cold water and cold within seconds to minutes. Right. And um, long-term outcomes are typically indicated by how quickly you get that core temperature decrease. So we have that there. Uh, whenever it's also hot, we uh, we have some, some push coolers out there that we put, we call them ice towels, it's essentially just towels that we put in ice and water they can wrap around their neck wipe their head off do that kind of stuff to help keep cool and that kind of stuff but then on the other side once we're done with them we're off the field we have them also have water in the locker room again so we you know encourage that recovery that replenishing the fluids and a lot of times we see that with weighing in weighing out we know if they weigh out to the field they come in they weigh out what they lost is fluid weight unless they throw up to something you know those outside variables so we can tell them like hey you've lost six pounds of fluids today you need to replenish that right before the next day um so we look again the big thing you're kind of reading seeing or hearing me say is that we look at chronic stresses and then acute um, adaptations to that so seeing those two components and, and doing our best to mediate both and this is where I, I almost hate it's this late into the podcast, but we truly are crying out to uh, our athletes and parents to help us because in my 32 years of coaching, our heat exhaustion issues have always come not from what we're doing on the field, but there's no recovery at home post-workout or in between workouts. You know, they're, they're going straight from a workout to the pool or to the lake, they're just dehydrating constantly, just sitting out in the sun. There's not a rest or recovery. Uh, and then there's something about this culture's, uh, this generation of athletes. To them, uh, more is better. And you're the ones always said more is not better, more is just more. Yeah. But we, got, we still have situations where a student is leaving a, a two-hour workout practice with us and then next thing I hear, they went straight to the gym to do more or they had a lunch break and went to somebody else's house and they did extra sets of this or that. So 
talk us through one more time about why the rest and recovery along with the nutrition, hydration, if they're not doing that, they're actually setting themselves up for issues. Yeah, absolutely. And, and have this conversation with a lot of the guys and girls too. You know, we live in a culture where, again, they, they feel like they need to do more in order to get better. Well, that's not always true. You know, I, I don't remember who exactly said this before, so, so I can't take credit for the originality of it. But we have a lot of people who think that a good workout makes them sore. You know, the level of soreness indicates how strong the workout is. Well, I said, if the level of pain or soreness was an indicator of the workout, we wouldn't have barbells. I'd just walk around with a baseball bat, yeah, you know. A hammer. Yeah, or a hammer. You know, <laughs> yeah. you hear different, you know, versions yeah. of it all the time. And I said, you know, what the design of the workouts are is to provide a stimulus aimed at a specific adaptation of what we want. Are we trying to hypertrophy? Are trying to get stronger? Are we trying to get more conditioning? You know, are we trying to be able to accelerate, decelerate? You know, looking at those end goals, all the weight room stuff is is a stimulus allowing that proper time to rest and recovery for that body to build against that stimulus, then that's how you get the adaptation where if you just work, 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 you know, um, another example I always give to is marathon runners. If, if running more made you a better marathon runner, all that marathon runners would do is run. Well, no marathon runners, they run marathons typically over 22 miles, maybe one to two times during their training. Right. Um, so allowing that acute rest, so typically we break it into these two categories. So resting is typically that like hours to maybe a day or two. That's where you're getting off your feet, you know, staying in the house, staying out of the sun, doing those sort of things, rehydrating, that kind of stuff. Recovery is getting into that next phase where you're almost stacking days of rest on top of each other. So you're actually getting the muscles to repair themselves and get stronger. You're allowing the nervous system to adapt to that stimulus to, you know, perform more efficiently. You're allowing the body to get more efficient at extracting electrolytes. And when you sweat, you know, uh, it has a lower electrolyte balance. So where whenever you just keep doing stimulus, 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 or, you know, workout, then practice, then club soccer game, or whatever that example might be, you might be resting, but you're not recovering. So you're not getting that stimulus. So in a lot of times, you're either setting yourself up, one, for injury, mm-hmm. um, overuse chronic injuries, or two, you're not allowing yourself to maximally recover, so you're not getting that adaptation, so um, you're not getting the max genetic benefit that, that you've been blessed with. And so to kind of make it simplify, so we're about to take a week-long break. You know, finish up today, so they're going to have a week. So we're not telling them they have to go in a dark room, shut the door, and not do anything. They can still cut the grass. You know, They still can go to the pool. So, so – what would that what would next week look like based on the you know the acute loads that we've put on them this month i say the way i most easily put it with our 14 18 year old guys is go be a normal high school kid go to the pool go you know do your normal job whatever that might be go you know hang out at the lake go to the beach you know and play on the beach you know do do all that normal stuff but don't do the extra stuff you know and Science will show you that it takes about three to four days of inactivity to start to deacclimate, to lose force production and all that sort of stuff. Um, so they can work out on their own. We're not saying, nope, just stay in a room and do nothing for the next 10 days that we're off. We're just saying don't go past that threshold uh, of just being a normal high school kid. Go enjoy your high school experience. You get four years of it, and you're not going to get those four years back. So uh, we haven't talked about this, um, and we talk about next steps. You know, I've I've mentioned Coach Forrester. You know, I think it'd be good now to you know videotape the guys running, let them look at their running form. To they could, they don't get to see themselves run. So they, 
if they could, you know, they're learning how to push at a max rate now and their body's adjusting to it, but we can also start training them to run more efficiently at that deal. But how do you answer the question? I think this is a great question. Somebody said, you know, we're adding a lot of technology to our work now, practice, strength, conditioning, so forth. How do you keep, uh, how do you add the technology about, without losing a blue-collar mentality of just, you got to actually put some work in. Does that make sense? Some yeah. sweat equity. Yep, that makes perfect sense. And, and sweat equity is a really good way to put it. And and we even tell the guys, you know, and when we frame it, we say, you know, these numbers are important, but what is important is you and you putting in the work is that we can have all the, the, the GPS technology, you know, all the statistical analyses, all that means nothing if you aren't willing to compete and aren't willing to do what it takes the other 22 hours that we don't have you to set yourself up for success. And, and a lot of times that, you know, and, and again, the, the, they're 14, 18 year old kids, they're growing, they're developing, you know, a lot of times they don't get the full concept of it. But when I frame it is that, you know, you realize you're only here for two hours a day, what you do the other 22 hours, you know, sleep, rest, hydration, you know, um, psychological recovery, all that sort of stuff like that's just as if not more important, because if you have a really rough 22 hours, the two hours you're here is not going to be competitive, you know, um, so almost it's just a challenge to yourself to be your best self. And then once you reach that and that, you know, what once was effort now just becomes second nature. That's what we call work ethic, grit, that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's so important. And then, you know, I, I've been noticing as they learning how to compete against themselves, what we're trying to bring out as well as uh, vocal encouragement to one another, you know, the, the kids today, they talk so much via text and they spend so much screen time and, and really which tends to isolate them. Mm-hmm. So getting them to have positive words of encouragement to each other and to have some excitement, you know, not a casualness, but a real excitement, you know, hearing them cheer in the weight room during the competitions, hearing them kind of pushing one another when it's a conditioning type running day. Those are all spiritual factors psychological factors building team and all that that people don't understand it's not just about a three by ten set of some lift right yep that's exactly right and and that's where i always say your your leaders emerge when things are at their hardest and these workouts are hard you know mm-hmm. getting up at you know six o'clock in the morning to be here at six thirty for a high school kid for me as a 35 year old you know it's not easy um so you kind of find that separation of who's really bought in, who's really not. And then, you know, I see it a lot. So I typically run the sprint drill with the, the lasers and that sort of thing. And, you know, they, they, they come from, you typically, they come from there from either sleds or something else that they just work really hard. And the first thing they hear from me is, all right, guys, we're going to start on the yellow line, get a drink, let your heart rates drop down. And they kind of look around. They're like, well, wait a second, I'm supposed to be working hard. I'm sp-, like, and Kyle just said that, Hey, this is a performance drill, not a conditioning drill. And, um, and letting them get acclimated so that way we do get good numbers, so that way they compete. Um, and then during that downtime when we are letting their heart rates drop down and, and let them rehydrate and that sort of stuff, you start to hear those conversations of like, you know, hey, what time did you get last week? You know, or hey, do you, what's, your, what's the fastest time in the other groups so far? You know, and you right. start to, that communication starts to turn into leaders emerging, that internal competition and that external effort. So the other question before we start wrapping it up, so when you're competing against yourself and the way the body has to adapt and because of the cycles they're going through, hormones and sleep cycles, everything. so there's going to be a number of days they fail 
in their competition versus their old self. You know, like uh, I've been doing the, the check-ins with the weights, you know, and they step on the scale. And so, you know, they're desperately trying to gain weight. And, you know, one of them's been, you know, a buck 25 the whole summer. And then, like, today stepped on the scale, he's a buck 23. And you can almost feel like disappointment, like, what do I have to do? You know, so how do we encourage the young guys that when we're giving them objective data, it may not show up objectively that they're improving but they are and then then of course the way it happens then it'll be a jump at some point you know so if you can ever get them through a couple of those jumps where they see it then they're hooked but what are some things we can do to keep encouraging that you know i think you know really encouraging that what we're doing is a process not a product and hmm. that we're in it for the long haul you know our I, and i say this to the coaches i say this to the athlete hey this thursday morning practice on june 28 or whatever today is isn't going to win that Friday night. It's the work and that that body work, the sweat we talked about earlier, character building, ethics, you know, all that sort of stuff combined together. That's what's going to show up on Friday night. So um, knowing that you're not going to be at your best all the time, but when you're giving your best effort, that when you are at your best, you're going to be that much higher. And, yeah. and, and it's hard for some of these kids to understand that. Yeah. They don't have the perspective looking back like you and I do and then the parents do that sort of stuff. But they're, they're clicking. It's it's a process, not a product, and, and we're really doing something good with it. It's been such an amazing summer, Kyle, and, and what's happening in this program using the catapults, you know, adding the laser timers. And I know we're talking about down the road, you know, adding the infrared cameras on the racks and trying to understand velocity training in the weight room and so forth. I'm just so excited about where we're going, but it just takes time to get there, right? I mean, you're, you're building a little bit of time. So, uh, if if you could predict where we are a year from now, uh, what do you hope we're able to see in terms of how we continue to push the sports science performance part of Broward athletics? Yeah, I think the big thing that we'll see this time a year from now is having all the technology sports-wide. Um, so like say, where we are with the GPS technology, we have 80 sensors now. We've used them on a lot of different sports, but like, again, football's our guinea pig, and, and so we've, we feel really good about that. So um, I say this time next year, we'll probably have about all of our team sports wearing sensors, yeah. um, that sort of thing. Same thing in the weight room. A lot of the dynamic warm-up the movement patterns that we're seeing, like, hey, these they're, they're learning that push moment, that pull moment, that rotation, the hinge at the hip, those movement patterns that a lot of times these kids that I think people in my generation, your generation got by just going out and playing in the cul-de-sac, playing pickup, you know, these kids aren't getting nowadays that they are and expanding that to all sports and then moving into, like you say, the velocity-based training and, and those performance metrics that are translatable both to the outdoor technology and the indoor technology. Well, I can't tell you what it's meant for me. I mean, we have student interns that work with you that have basically learn so much that they've set their trajectory, you know, on being involved in sports medicine. Uh, our athletes are learning the principles of work and to get better. Uh, we're getting more interest in nutrition, rest, recovery. Uh, we're getting more buy-in. Uh, I do think there's this healthy confidence that we're doing all we can do to get them to be the best they can be and then teaching them how to compete against themselves, that at that point then you can almost rest in if you're doing all you, you can do, then that's all you can do. You know, And obviously we can always still get better because we still eat consistently. We don't sleep consistently. We don't 
give that you know max effort consistently. That's just human nature. But uh, I do think that the combination of the caring coaches, the science-based program, the uh, real-time uh, you know data that's coming back to them on kids today that like looking at their phones, getting objective data, all that's kind of creating this amazing model that uh, I, I know we're getting interest. We're running out of time, but you're hearing from people all the time, right, in the industry about what we're doing. G- give our folks just a little bit of, of that because uh, I'm always impressed of who's contacting us. Yeah, and it's like I say, and a lot of times it's like random phone calls. Like I'll get a phone call randomly from an L.A. number, you know, and I answer it, and it's, you know, somebody with Dodgers, you know, facility yeah. and organization. And a lot of um, – power five schools have you know because they're a lot of their people are doing what we're doing like say we're just applying it to one a little different population by doing it at the secondary school level the high school level but also just kind of how we're doing it and um i spoke at a conference last week and i've probably gotten 15 20 emails you know everybody from university of texas all the way down to a private school in virginia you know and and how we collect data how we utilize it a lot of people are just interested in how we work together with it because like one of the big schools that i had talked to said that they collect all this stuff they they're really good at maxing out excel sheets they're not good at getting coaches to actually read the reports and buy into it and you know so we have a lot of really good conversations with that but yeah it's it's been a like i say when we started out i didn't know where this was going to go and we're in the grand scheme of things maybe a half a little over three quarters or a little over half maybe to three quarters away and we're um, really seeing a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Well, you've been a blessing to us. I mean, your, your knowledge as an athletic trainer, you know, the, the, the network that you have. I mean, you're the president of the Alabama Athletic Trainers Association, and we have meetings of that whole organization here, your connections with Andrews, your connections with pro baseball and, and colleges. So – just your impact. And, and then, of course, you're also one of our favorite teachers. You're, you're still teaching anatomy here, which you taught, you know, uh, at the uh, graduate level, you know, at Sanford, uh, you know. So I, I just want to tell you again, you're having a huge impact on Briarwood. You and Bailey Fawcett as our trainers. I know we're getting world-class care, so I can't thank you enough for uh, all the time that you give us. Yeah, absolutely. Just glad to have the opportunity. at Briarwood Christian School in Birmingham, Alabama. And each episode of this podcast is dedicated to our coaches, volunteers, and other staff members who help us wrestle with what it means to be a Christian, competitive, athletics program in contemporary society. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of AD Update.